0: com slash lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed.
1: When it's all said and done and there is a new president of the United States Soccer Federation come Saturday, I hope that we can at least all come together and recognize that we still got a lot of work to do on and off the field and we'll go onward and upward from there. Hello Sunshine and welcome to the State of the Union. This is a podcast that looks at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of, let's say, red, white, and blue colored glasses. As you heard, we will be talking about the United States Soccer Federation election. We will be having our Ask Alexi segment in which we answer all of your questions and a whole lot more on today's episode. As always, though, I am joined by my friend, my colleague, my, let's say, guiding light, Mr. David Mossy. He is a Brazilian, he is a savant when it comes to the beautiful game and a Fox Soccer researcher slash writer extraordinaire basically anytime that you see myself or any of my on-air fox soccer talent say anything halfway intelligent there's a good chance that david mossy is involved david mossy how are you my friend
2: i am good alexi i am excited to be here thank you for the kind introduction and i am dressed for the occasion
1: Yes, for those that can't see, Mossy has on the Paris Saint-Germain jersey because anything and everything that even is touched, even in the slightest way, by anything Brazilian is gold in his book. And for those that don't know, and shame on you if you don't, who's the guy that plays for PSG that uh, you like?
2: Uh, Neymar Jr.
1: All right, all right, all right. Mossy, are you excited about this? I am. I'm excited about this, too. Should we get to it? Should we light this candle, my friend? Yeah, let's do it. All right. On this podcast, we are always going to start with my message to the entire soccer universe. And that is called... Alexi Lalas' State of the Union. Yes, indeed, it is the State of the Union. This is what I have to say about the state of American soccer today. This week, a new president of the United States Soccer Federation will be elected. So, who's going to win? My answer is simple. Eric Winaldo. He wins regardless. Because if Winalda's elected, well, he's the president of the United States Soccer Federation and he swept into power with a mandate for immediate and significant change to the system and the status quo. But even if Winalda loses, he wins. And this is the genius of Winalda and his campaign. Because even if he isn't elected, he becomes a martyr, a legend, and the patron saint of all those disillusioned, disenfranchised, or just simply at odds with the quote system and the status quo in American soccer. Now, they aren't a silent majority, but they're out there. And in Winalda, they have found their champion. Winalda has tapped into some populists and some evergreen issues like promotion relegation, conflicts of interest, and the aligning of the FIFA calendar. And in doing so, he's amassed a loyal base who will revere and support him for his real and his perceived fight with the establishment. In essence, he becomes a folk hero. The little guy who had the courage to challenge the man. And the myth is born. Now, if he's smart, Winalda will milk it for years to come. And he'll be rewarded by those he carried the water and pushed the agenda for. Winalda has bristled this campaign at any comparisons to Donald Trump. And he's right. He's not Donald Trump. He's more Bernie Sanders. He's used this campaign to make his point, to make his name, and, for better or worse, to make his bet. All right, David Mossy. we know and at times we love our friend and colleague, Eric Winalda, who we have worked with at Fox. Uh, you have even done a radio show over on Sirius with him uh, for a number of years. Now you're slumming it with me here. I, I plucked you out of that. What are your thoughts on how Eric Winalda, first, and then we'll talk bigger picture about the uh, the presidential election, about how your friend Eric Winalda has gone about this, uh, uh, this, this adventure, shall we say?
2: Well, first off, you're right. This podcast is quite the come down for me. I was hosting a <laughs> national radio show not long ago. Uh, First Winalda, now Lalas I clearly have a thing for washed up blowhards But but, let's be honest Eric, I agree with you He's been driving this whole election All the issues we're talking about Are issues that he put on the table He's the only one of these people That has anything substantive to say The rest of them are just spouting off Vague generalities about change And this is probably not fair But it does feel like he's more passionate about this than anybody else, that he's working harder at it than anybody else. And I think that's really resonated with the public, which is why... If this was a public vote, Eric would win in a landslide, but it's not. It's this voting system where I don't think he's going to win because of it. But uh, no, I I, I actually commend him. I think he's handled himself great throughout this whole process.
1: Well, you mentioned it because it it is a very strange and different type of election in that it's not being won or lost on Twitter. There are voters, and I don't have a vote. You don't have a vote, do you? I do not. All right, so we don't have votes. Uh, we're trying to figure it out. So uh, if people ask me who's going to win, your safe money right now is on Kathy Carter and Carlos Cordero. Carlos Cordero is the current vice president of the United States Soccer Federation, as insider as you can get, being that he has been part of this structure for a number of years. Kathy Carter is also considered an insider because she has been the president of Soccer United Marketing, the marketing arm that has a long-standing and very successful relationship with the United States Soccer Federation. I think those two are going to fight it out on the, let's say, the status quo side and the insider side. I think on the other side, you're going to have Eric Winalda, who... As we said, it has this populist type of approach and, and has certainly driven the narrative, both for better or worse and positively and negative. Now, what I think is going to happen is this. I think, as I said, your safe money's on Kathy Carter slash Carlos Codero. They will fight it out to be that side. Eric Winaldo will go to his corner. Both of them will split off in very diametrically opposed type of fashions. You have on one side the status quo and on the other side the radical revolution, shall we say, of Eric Winaldo. What I think is going to be interesting is Kyle Martino, who is also running. He's a former player, one of our friends and colleagues working over at NBC and doing a great job. I think he's got the chance if this goes, because you have to get 50% of the vote, and I think anybody's getting it on the first round, to come up that middle and be that centrist type of... Compromise candidate. Well, people say, well, I don't want to continue with the status quo, but I think Eric's just too radical for me to follow, and maybe Kyle can come up the middle. I am going to be in Orlando this uh, this week. We are recording this podcast on Monday. I will be there this weekend reporting for Fox on the election. I am fascinated by it. I don't know about uh, you out there, but I have followed it from start to finish. I thank you on Twitter for humoring me over the last few months for letting me do this because is it important? Yes, it's important. Is it going to change necessarily your life as it comes to American soccer? Not necessarily. But the leader of the United States Soccer Federation going forward, especially in this moment where people are demanding at least some sort of change, I think it's interesting. I think it's important. I think it's going to be fascinating.
2: Yeah, I thought it was a terrible sign for Eric that the Athletes Council didn't even want to meet with him. Uh, the Stu Holden-led Athletes Council, as I refer to it as, <laughs> because to me, he's the kingmaker over there. So the way you've explained the voting to me in conversations we've had, if he doesn't get any support from that Athletes Council, that's Because usually much, they vote
1: in block, uh, yeah. and, and yes, he's, he's got to do it, and I'm not sure that he has that support. That's pretty um, much all she it's, wrote, right? It, it's going to be a problem, but things as—look, uh, I don't need to remind you or anybody else listening that elections in the United States, uh, you never know what's going to happen.
2: So you think Eric could be back in that beer cellar very soon, breaking down the Augsburg midfield? Uh, that, that's what we're mm-hmm. headed for. Uh,
1: he could steal you away. You could be a one-and-done type of uh, State of the Union podcast <laughs> voice in that he could come back and say, oh, no, we're, we're back at it again, and then you would leave me, right?
2: Uh, well, we'll see. I mean, whichever one of you pays me the most money. But, 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 I'm. Keep but, also, um, oh, but let ahead. me just say, I, I, I think... Kathy Carter is going to win. That's my sense. And I have to say, I have not been terribly impressed uh, by her. She seems like a lovely person, but interviews I've seen. Most recently, she I heard her with Bill Simmons, and she had nothing interesting to say on his podcast. She got the years wrong that the U.S. didn't qualify for the Olympics. She said they would have faced Oceania in the playoff, when in fact it, w- it would have been Asia. So she needed somebody like me behind her to be kind of the Gary to her Selena Meyer and feed her the correct info. But... I think uh, the wind seems to be blowing that way. She's got tremendous support, clearly. I mean, do you want to get into this whole Hope Solo, Julie Foudy, kerfuffle? So Hope Solo on Twitter is accusing Julie Foudy of trying to lobby players on the Athletes Council to vote for Kathy Carter. Mia Hamm's been accused of the same thing. They have both denied it. But you do, so that sort of fits the overall narrative here that I think the wind seems to be blowing in Kathy Carter's sure. direction. Do, do you, do you, what do you make of this whole—do uh, you think if that's the case, Julie Foudy and me him are doing anything wrong that they I don't have to take, apologize I look, for? I,
1: in, the way, in the way that you talked about Kathy Carter uh, running her campaign, I don't take Hope Solo seriously in terms of her campaign. I don't think that she has run a very good campaign. If anybody had the opportunity to have a national platform and vo- voice, it would be Hope Solo. In, in that she could have the day she announced gone on I don't know Good Morning America or, or whatever much more so and and uniquely compared to any other candidate out there and I don't think that she has uh, has done that I think this is much more about her desire to reshape the reshape her image uh, to recast herself I, I listened to her talk in Philadelphia and it was it was very much about you know. I've been a victim and a victimization type of mentality. Everybody's against me. The world is not against you, Hope Solo. And ultimately, if you want to be the president of the United States Soccer Federation, I think you have to have a whole lot more in terms of answers, in terms of solutions, in terms of the way that you think. And I don't care what you did in the past when it comes to saving the ball, good or bad, on or off the field. Tell me what you're going to do now as president. I don't think she's done a good job doing that. And then... I do think she has a responsibility. She's got a million-something followers, and so when she is retweeting something and an accusation against Julie Fowdy uh, or against uh, Mia Hamm, you better be able to back it up. And, by the way, there's nothing wrong with people advocating for someone in an election. Grow up. This is politics. This is an election. Now, when you're threatening... That's a different story, okay? But when you are saying, I think that this person should vote for him, and you're calling people, or you're talking to people, or you're uh, you're trying to persuade people that this is the right candidate, there's nothing wrong with that, Mossy, as far as I'm concerned. And I have yet to see anything that is... Uh, that reaches the level of the sordid type of accusation that Hope Solo put out against the likes of Julie Foudy and Mia Hamm in terms of threatening individuals that if they don't vote for Kathy Carter or anybody else, that punishment is going to come their way in different forms, whether it's monetary or uh, or positions in the future, all that kind of stuff. So it's gotten uglier. Uh, it gives me plenty to talk about. It gives you plenty to talk about. But And, and keep in mind this, too, Mossy. I don't think that a lot of the candidates recognized what the position is, has been, but more importantly, what it's going to be, because inevitably, this this position is going to have less power because of the focus, because of the desire for change. And I think, so whoever is president, whether it's Kathy Carter or anybody else, they are going to come in in a very different way than Sunil Gulati, the outgoing president, has uh, uh, has ruled, in that... He was allowed to do everything because he was given the um, the ability, and it was signed off on, and it was blessed by the leadership in place. That's not going to happen for the, the, this next person. So I think it's going to be a very different role and responsibility.
2: Now, you mentioned I co-hosted a radio show with Eric, which you would know, by the way, if you read any of the articles about him. There's no mention of the stat man. I've been he's forgotten. Airbrush he's completely forgotten. But you were actually his roommate many I was, years ago. Yes. You've known the man for 30 years. Yeah, you two still talk on the phone from time to time, and yet uh, a lot of Eric, when all the devotees on Twitter, are under this impression that you've been excessively hard on him throughout this campaign. Yep. There's even been the, the sabotaging his campaign. I've even heard that. <laughs> Would you care to comment on those? Uh,
1: I, I don't things. think that I have been any uh, harsher, uh, or, or I don't think I've been unfair to anybody, but I don't think I've been any harsher on him than anybody else out there in a campaign. And keep in mind, you mentioned it at the top of the show, that... Eric Winalda has driven a lot of the discourse and a lot of the narratives, uh, and and by choice, that's what he wants to do. And he's made it very, very interesting and amusing at times and, and fascinating to cover. So, no, I, I don't think that I—well, I, I can tell you definitively I have not gone out of my way to derail his or anybody's campaign. And I will just say this, because next time you hear from us, it will be after the election— I have a tremendous amount of respect for all of them. I disagree with different things that they've said or done, but every single one of those people and all eight of them, and I should mention all of them because we only mentioned a a couple of them. You have Carlos Cordero, the vice president of United States soccer. You have Kathy Carter, who is the president or former president right now while she's running of Soccer United Marketing. You have Eric Winalda, a U.S. soccer legend. You have Kyle Martino, played with the national team and and, uh, works on television like Eric does for NBC. Then you have two lawyers in Mike Winograd and Steve Gans. Uh, Mike, Winograd, I think, actually, will come out of this also a winner because he has really raised some eyebrows in a good way. Say this guy's smart and could be involved going in the future. And then uh, you have Hope Solo and Paul Caligiuri, who I don't think are going to even get, uh, you know, even close to uh, winning this thing. So I have a lot of respect because they've put themselves out there. They've taken the time. Some of them have quit their jobs, and it, it takes courage to do that. And ultimately, I think they all believe that they can do good things. Like I said, we can all disagree at different times about different things that they've said or done, but you know what? When it's all said and done, and there was a new president of the United States Soccer Federation come Saturday, I hope that we can at least all come together and recognize that we still got a lot of work to do on and off the field, and we'll go onward and upward from there. That's good, Mossy. That was a good way to end it right there. Perfect. Should we go on with the show? Because this, is, this has nothing to do, actually, with kicking the ball, right? And ultimately, that's what our game is about, right? Let's do it. Moving on. It's time for... Mossy Makes the Case. All right, as the voice with Gravitas says, it is time for a segment that we like to call Mossy Makes the Case. David Mossy will give us his two cents about something in the world of soccer. What do you have for us this week, Mr. Mossy?
2: Alexi, we are taping this on monday february 5th it is both neymar and cristiano ronaldo's birthdays uh neymar turns 26 ronaldo turns 33 and we are about a week away from one of the more fascinating champions league round the 16 ties i can ever remember psg real madrid with neymar and ronaldo set to be the central figures at a time when there are some fascinating storylines surrounding both of them Let, let's take ronaldo first As the story goes, after last season's Champions League final, when he scored two goals, Real Madrid beat Juventus 4-1. Florentino Perez, who is the president of Real Madrid, promised Ronaldo he would give him a big contract extension. That has not happened yet. But he has not helped himself by the fact that he is having a bizarre season. He did score nine goals in the Champions League group stage, but he has only eight in La Liga, despite taking an ungodly amount of shots. He's looked really bad at times, slow and old. So there's starting to be the first whispers of maybe he's in decline here. Maybe he's starting to be on the downside. There's a feeling that Real Madrid are not keen on giving him a massive contract at this point, And that if he wanted to leave this summer, they wouldn't be that upset about it. That the time might be right to move on to whatever the next era of this club is going to be. And actually, Florentino Perez, the guy he has his eyes on reportedly, is Neymar. Who, uh, as far as Neymar goes, there's no issue with his play. He's been spectacular this season, uh, even allowing for the fact he's facing lesser competition in France. But one of the reasons he left Barcelona was so he could play week in, week out with his club with the same freedom he has for Brazil. If you watch PSG, he's nominally a left winger, but he spends the whole game in the middle of the field, functioning as the playmaker. Everything runs through him. He's getting to show off different facets of his game. His passing has been unbelievable. He is right now the second best player in the world behind Messi. But there is one issue. Ooh, a big butt. A mossy butt. butt. All right. He's always had this petulant streak, but it's been amplified this season. Uh, he's behaved very obnoxiously at times. Uh, I can't defend him. He's acted like a punk. He's really rubbing people the wrong way. Remember how reviled Cristiano Ronaldo yeah, yeah, used to yeah. be? Neymar is sort of that guy now. You think not to that level yet, well, do you? So that, He's that, trying to get to that level. <laughs> that's that's the backdrop here. Right. So let me ask you a couple of questions. Uh, first off, do you think the time might be right for Ronaldo to leave Real Madrid? After nine seasons, are we reaching a point here where this relationship might need to end? They go their separate ways. Yes,
1: 100%. Not because he can't. I think this is a good jumping off point. And I think that Real Madrid, even though they don't say it like uh, like their colleagues, they it is it is more than a club in that it's not just about the names. Great names, but there's always another great name. Now, if that great name is Neymar, I don't see that necessarily as a like for like. So if while I can I can understand and I can agree and certainly make a case that this is the time for Cristiano Ronaldo to leave, If you're then saying they're going to replace him with Neymar, if Neymar goes to Real Madrid, I love it because it would be spectacular and give us plenty to talk about. But I'm not sure that that replaces Cristiano Ronaldo with enough, because as you said, you know Cristiano Ronaldo at his best is a machine, but there's a predictability, and I'm not, I don't use that as a as a a negative. I I understand what I'm going to get him. Neymar wants to play, as you said, like he plays with Brazil for his club team. There's only one Brazil, and there's, even when, when Neymar was at Barcelona, there was a structure and un, an understanding on how they're going to play, and he couldn't just be given the ball and do, whatever he, do do whatever he wanted. Does he think that if he goes to Real Madrid that he's going to be able to do that? And even at PSG, yes, but let's be honest. They're playing 70% of their games of a year against completely inferior opposition, and so he's enabled to do that, whether a coach wants him to do it or not. You think he's going to go to uh, Real Madrid ultimately? I, I don't.
2: Uh, the key is he doesn't have a buyout clause in his PSG contract, so they would actually have to negotiate a transfer fee. I, I can't see a world where PSG would willingly sell Neymar to Real Madrid, and the money he's making now is just outrageous. Uh, in addition to his contract, the sponsorships, there are some stories out there that they haven't been totally confirmed yet that he's going to be made an ambassador to the 2022 World Cup in Qatar and that's going to be a way they're going to funnel more money into his pocket so I don't know if even Real Madrid can go near that money but let me ask you this do you find Neymar unlikable a tough guy to root for do you think he gets a bad rap
1: oh no if if there is a player that is unlikable I don't I don't put him in the, the the category of Cristiano Ronaldo I love Cristiano Ronaldo but I I love that beautiful arrogance and that big ego of players so I don't look at it as a negative but I also I certainly don't see Neymar as being problematic in the way that maybe Cristiano has been perceived in the past what you know the, the penalties or whatever and that kind of stuff this Who is a, this is that?
2: a big talking point in Brazil right now uh the, the about whether he he's the being an ass penalty kick thing with Cavani and also the way he lashes out at opponents he gets too many yellow and red cards you know, recently he had that bizarre thing where he stuck his hand out to, to help a, a, an opponent get up, and then he, t- he pulled it away, and then, and then he said it was a joke afterwards, but that didn't come off well. This whole thing, and I, I defend him on this count, this whole thing of showboating when his team's leading late in games, he starts doing these crazy tricks. My defense of that has always been that he does those tricks when the game's nil-nil. That's just the way he plays. So I, I actually think that criticism is The whole is trick
1: thing, though, I mean, this is, a, this is a phenomenon, and it gets beyond Neymar or anybody else. It, it never bothered me. That somebody would do that. I never saw it as this unwritten rule that if you're beating somebody or if, uh, that, you, that you can't make them or you're beating somebody, you can't try something or that you're being insulting to the players or the teams or the game itself. Figure it out, you know. I mean, I, I never, it never irritated me. I never looked at somebody and said, "Hey, come on, you already have us on the ground. You don't need to do that." I didn't, I didn't find that insulting. And especially when it's one of the greatest players in the world, and especially when it's a Brazilian player, that's what you expect. And as you said, he does it no matter, he does it no matter what. But I, I think he's going to be left searching and continuing to search if he is trying to find that place where he can play like Brazil in a club situation, no matter where he goes.
2: Now you might bring now ESPN FC. It must be said. They've based their whole show this season around bashing Neymar. It's been unbelievable. Craig Burley and those guys, how much they detest him. It's been over the top at times. But, I mean, those guys, it's, 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 it's unbelievable. I mean, it's like Donald Trump gets treated better on MSNBC than Neymar gets treated on ESPN FC. It's... it's uh, so there, I'm telling you, there is that faction out there. I know you're kind of poo-pooing it, but he he rubs a lot of people the wrong way. But isn't way. that the ultimate I read, compliment? Though? I read every article about him. You scroll down to the comments section. Now, some of the vitriol you hear. Now, some of it is from Barcelona fans right, sure, that are still yeah. bitter. So there are. I, I do think there are, and I'm a Brazilian saying this. Uh, there, who's wearing his jersey today? Uh, th- there are some things not to like. There, there's some legitimate criticisms. But I do think, like I said, it's been over the top. But it's, it's an interesting subplot to this whole thing as he gets ready now to face Real Madrid, the team he's been linked with, led by Ronaldo, the guy he would presumably replace. So uh, I can't if wait. If they go
1: through against Real Madrid, that would be, that would be something. And If it would they be don't,
2: the, do you think it's a catastrophe given all the money they've yes. spent?
1: Yes. PSG has to get to the final this year of Champions League in order for it to be considered anything but a failure. Uh, and, and they don't have to win it, but they have to get to the final. And by the way, I think for Zidane they have to get to the final too. So something's going to break uh, next week when uh, when we start to see this matchup between PSG and Real Madrid. And we should
2: say, first leg Wednesday next week, live on FS1, yep. uh, Connecticut Sports Hall of Famer Rob Stone will be anchoring our coverage. <laughs> first leg's at the Bernabeu. Uh, second leg will be March 6th at the Parc des Princes. Now, the stadium if- I attended, uh, I was in Paris uh, recently, and I went to a match, so lovely stadium.
1: All right, to, uh, at, uh, to finish this up here, notwithstanding your British, or no, your British... <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely not so British. Is your, <laughs> your Brazilian affinity. Who goes through between those two, uh, Real Madrid or PSG?
2: Gun to my head, I would take PSG. I think they're the better team. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: But is it because of the struggles that Real Madrid
2: is is facing right now? Yeah, that's a big part of it. I don't know if they can just flick that it, switch. But
1: it would just be like Zidane and Real Madrid to flick it, that it switch be, and come yes. through. And then we would be left. What, what did we say yesterday? They would uh, it would be the but first I, coach I, to what?
2: Yeah, I said if if Real Madrid keeps struggling in La Liga and but win the Champions League, they might have to... Uh, fire and hires down back on the same day because they have to do something to show their displeasure with their league campaign, but then hire him right back because he did win the Champions League. So he'll be the first coach to be fired and rehired on the same day.
1: All right. Well, Masi, uh, you have made the case and the case is that uh, you love anything that has anything even remotely associated with Brazil, right?
2: I actually thought my case was quite negative towards Neymar there, but uh...
1: he's still Brazilian. You- you'll love him. You'll love him eventually. All right. Moving on. Ask Alexi. Oh yes, as you heard, it is time for the Ask Alexi segment, the segment in which we answer all of your questions that have appeared to us miraculously on all of the social media platforms. Just hit that hashtag, Ask Alexi, and you too can be involved in the Ask Alexi segment. Mr. Mossy, what do we have this week from our fine and good-looking, I'm assuming, listeners and or watchers out there?
2: Yes, I've been scouring the internets, and here's what I came up with. First off, at delusio Jesse or is it Hesse wants to know uh, what position does Alexis fit in best at Man United to maximize his abilities
1: on the field I think I mean this is this is a player, so he wants to know where he plays. I don't know. I see him as as like a withdrawn second type of forward, uh, someone that he's, he's got the physical abilities to do some incredible things, but he's not going to post up up top or anything like that. And I don't want him there. I want him driving center backs nuts in that he's in that that area in those pockets, in the seams, if you will, where the center backs of the other team have to say, well, well, do I go with him? Do I follow him? Do I not? Constantly getting teams to do that and players to do that is where I want to see him. uh There will be an element of kind of just let him do what he wants to do. He's good enough to do that. He's playing with enough talent around him right now. But I don't know. Do, do you see him as a specific position?
2: No, I agree with you. I like him kind of floating behind Lukaku underneath there. Now, A lot of talk that his contract could destabilize that dressing room. That's why Man City didn't want to sign him. Uh, When you were a player, were you aware of how much money everybody else was making on the team? And were you constantly thinking, wait a minute, I'm better than that guy. Why is he making more than
1: Yep. You you know exactly what people are making. It factors into how you treat them. It factors into how you um, value what they are doing. Should it? Yeah, it should. I mean that this is this is the only way off the field that we have a way of assigning value to uh to players. Now, are players overpaid? Absolutely. And do you begrudge a player uh if you're in the locker room that comes in and is, has a really really high uh contract? No. But if and when those players live up to it and you say, "Oh my goodness, this is something special," then Then you say, okay, I I get it. The problem comes is when they don't. When you look at the guy or the girl and you say, man, I could do that. Or I have been doing that and yet I'm making this. And those things will always happen. And you know why, Mossy? Because until we have a bunch of robots running around, this sport continues to be populated by human beings. And it is a human element. It is a human reaction to want to be valued. And the way we do that is by... Money and so when you see somebody that has got a great contract that then doesn't do something on the field that surpasses what has been done, then you're going to scratch your head and it will manifest itself at times in the locker room and that will have uh, become problematic on the field, which is why he's under pressure. But you know what? You sign that contract, you better live up to it uh, because inside the locker room you will get pressure and to be honest, uh, all around you will get pressure. But he's he is. If anybody's worth it, I think he is.
2: Are you the same way at Fox? Do you know how much Rob Stone makes?
1: I know how much everybody makes. Oh. It's ridiculous, and they home—they know how much I make. And look, I get it. I've—I've I've been in, involved in life as you have, and you will be, and there will be people. It has it doesn't necessarily just apply to lock rooms; it applies to offices out there. Everybody will eventually find find out what you are making, and they will treat you relative to what they think uh, you are making, or and, or if you if they feel that you are valued. Too high or too low, relevant. Like, I look at you and I say, Holy cow, this guy is a bargain at what we're paying him right now. We should double, triple his salary right now because of the incredible content and the incredible value that he brings to all of us here at Fox, right? I agree. I, agree. I, wrote, I read that right, right? You told <laughs> yes. me to say incredible value, and I said yes. it. I really, have to
2: really, say, loud. you're the Ted Danson to my George Costanza. I can't live knowing that Alexi Lalas makes that much more than me, but uh, I try to soldier on. Next question from at Jose Lopez ten thirty nine. What do you think about Jack Harrison leaving NYCFC? Jack Harrison, I think it's a
1: wonderful story. It's not great for NYCFC because you have to replace a player who, over the last years, uh, last couple of years, has been wonderful. Uh, Jack Harrison, a young British import, came over from England. And it took this incredible route where he started in the traditional system over in England. It didn't work. His, his goal, like many young English players, was to play in the EPL. It wasn't working. And so he took this different route coming over to the United States, which now a lot of English players are doing, and going to university and going the collegiate route uh, and using it as a uh, as a stopover and as a platform to show his wares then get drafted he went to NYCFC and under Patrick Vieira flourished became one of their consistent valued performers and now has been sold back to where he was trying to get to all along. It just took a little circuitous type of route back to the EPL. So congratulations to him. I think it's wonderful for him. I think it's wonderful in terms of the message that it sends uh, about NYCFC, that they have value and they can identify a talent and that talent can use this, the both the team and the league as a platform to bigger and better things. And I think it's a great message for MLS, especially at a time when college is just getting crapped on left and right because the, uh, you know, the, the, the talk out there is just college... Is is not gonna prepare you correctly. Well, this guy's about to play over in uh, over in England and college did okay with him in terms of preparing him to be a professional. So I think it's great. Problem for NYCFC is now they have to replace a player and it's not as easy just because you get some money to go out there and find a consistent MLS performer.
2: At 911pablo911 asks, will Coutinho flop or shine at Barcelona? I have some thoughts on this, but I'll let you go first.
1: Well, I, uh, I, I what's his nationality again? I forget, uh, Coutinho, is he from uh, where?
2: Go ahead, Alexia. All I'll right. Answer the question.
1: All right. He is uh, yet another Brazilian. Th- this, this show has been populated by Brazilian talk. Look... I think uh, w- w- this, this weekend, I remember you running in while we were doing Bundesliga and running in with this, this, this look on your face like you had just come down on Christmas morning, and obviously something had happened wonderful, and usually when, when it's wonderful, I it mean something wonderful had happened involving a Brazilian, and it did, because uh, he had, Coutinho had evidently taken this shot. I had not seen it because I was working. Uh, you were supposed to be working, but obviously not, um, but you saw Coutinho take this shot that ricocheted off the crossbar, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken? That's correct. And you were just uh, just out of your mind in terms of praise and extrapolating it out to if this is what we're we're seeing now. Think of when he really gets adjusted. Undeniable talent. I'm glad for him. He's living out a dream. But more importantly, when it goes back to what we talked about, uh, he is now living up to the paycheck, living up to the hype. Um, it was a moment that it would have been great if it went in, but I think it gave everyone hope that this is uh, going to be a, a hell of a signing, and I'm I'm excited to see it. And um, undeniable the, when it comes to the talent of this player.
2: Well, uh, I certainly think he has the quality to shine at Barcelona. His style of play actually suits Barcelona quite well, but there are some issues. Do you need Do
1: you need water? You, you seem to be like you know, lisping or something. Do you need anything? Do you, when you were saying uh, uh, Barcelona there? Are you okay?
2: you have an issue with how i pronounce this word it's, it's amazing it's, uh, <laughs> i just love it you're so affected you know it's you so actually <laughs> uh when i was a kid i had a really bad lisp i had, I had to see a speech coach it was a very emotional thing so it's, it's actually quite uh insensitive for you to mock <laughs> me about that but, all right uh, but you do uh, say
1: barcelona yeah, I, right? I do say barcelona you're so cool you are so yes. cool i wish i was half as cool as you i'm gonna just give barcelona
2: all right all uh right. Back to our regular programming here. Uh, I I do think he has the quality to shine at Barcelona and his style of play suits them quite well. But there are some issues here in terms of fitting him into the lineup, figuring out where he's going to play. I keep hearing people say he's going to be the successor to Iniesta. Iniesta is still playing at a very high level. He just signed a new contract. He's not going anywhere. Messi now likes to spend most of the game in the middle of the field, functioning as a playmaker, too. So you throw Coutinho into that mix. There, there has been a little bit of a too-many-chefs-in-the-kitchen thing here and guys getting in each other's way. Uh, Coutinho's played four games so far, two as a starter, two as a sub, and it hasn't been an entirely comfortable fit yet. Valverde's tried him in different spots on the field. Uh, So that bears watching. They got to sort that out. And to make matters even more tricky, they have Dembele coming back now. And bear in mind, in the absence of Coutinho and Dembele in the first half of the season, uh, they've played this 4-4-2 formation and been very successful with it. it. They're more balanced. They're more solid defensively. And so Valverde isn't going to want to deviate from that too much. Now, to the extent that he is, it looks like it's going to be to get Coutinho in there. There seems to be much more of a sentiment to try to make Coutinho work. Bale is kind of an afterthought right now, although he will get his chance in the Champions League where Coutinho can't play. So uh, they have this tie coming up against Chelsea. I think they'll start four four two in the first leg, but if they lose, they come back home needing goals. I could see him going to four three three, playing them playing Dembele in that game. But all of this bears watching, and not just this season moving forward, because they're also talking about signing Antoine Griezmann. If you add him to this mix, then... I don't know how you fit everybody. So the whole thing hasn't been that well thought out. You know, from everything you read, Coutinho was clearly Valverde's first choice. Uh, They were eventually going to get him. They should have just sat tight, been patient, but they felt like they had to do something last summer. So they spent all this money on Dembele. Now they don't have a place to put him. So I've said this before, if there's any transfer in the last six months, I wish I could undo its Dembele to Barcelona, partly for selfish reasons. We cover the Bundesliga. Uh, I'd rather Dembele was still there playing for Dortmund, but also because I think it'd be the best for all parties involved. I don't think his uh, Barcelona, it's going gonna, it's gonna to end well there. It's uh, There's already a bad vibe around him at Barcelona, so all of that bears watching. Barcelona's
1: going to be fine. Don't you worry about him, Masi. All right. Embarrassment of riches.
2: Anything else? We got a, a couple more here? Yes. Um at GQ007IA. but oh that goodness. is quite the. Um he wants to know what can be learned from the story of Freddie Adu.
1: Uh Freddie Adu, uh the uh one-time future of American soccer for anybody that does not know out there, uh did not quite pan out as people had planned uh in that he didn't become the savior of American soccer. He burst on the scene as a 14-year-old phenom uh, in Major League Soccer with, uh, at that point, it was DC United and then proceeded uh, over the last decade plus uh, to traipse around the world to a number of different uh, teams, never really uh, performing on the field or settling in on or off the field at any of them um, in particular. Look, don't cry for freddie adu i don't cry for freddie adu there seems to be this this sentiment out there that we as a soccer culture uh, bear some responsibility for the fact that freddie adu has not been as successful as we thought he he would be freddie adu has been given more opportunities than to be quite honest, what eventually we found out were much more talented players going forward. And he continues to be given great opportunities, both uh, on and off the field. Opportunities that many players uh, will never, ever get and have never e- even gotten. Um, that he didn't live up to uh, the uh, the potential that we have out there is, is, is a combination of a lot of things, not the least of which is maybe he wasn't as good as we all thought. It's It's not wrong to promote and to hype a young talent. It happens in every culture and every country in the world. And if and when that talent doesn't live up to it, we don't bear any responsibility for hyping him up. And if you asked Freddie Adu right now, would you change anything? Of course, there's some things that he would change in terms of decisions that he made. But ultimately, Freddie Adu's life as a human being was made better by the hype. If you ask him, would would I have been a better player if I hadn't had that hype and that pressure, maybe, maybe not. But you might not have gotten all of those different opportunities. So I, I, have, um, I, I have compassion. I have, to a certain extent, some sympathy. I don't have empathy. I've never been through that as a young phenom like that. But uh, I think if it's teaching us anything, it's that just because a player is very good at a young age does not mean that that player is going to go on and become better and better and better because... Any number of things on and off the field can derail a player, whether it's a coach, whether it's timing, whether it's an injury, whether it's off the field things that you do. And it's very, very difficult to predict who is going to be uh, that great player just from success as a young player.
2: Yeah, the only thing I'll say about Freddie Adu is I think there are several clubs that sign them just for the publicity. And. Uh, when he got there, he realized the coach had no use for him and they never even gave him a chance. So for a long time, I took delight in Freddie's struggles. I enjoy seeing people fail, but I uh, did towards the end there uh, feel some sympathy for him because there were some situations that I don't care if you think Freddie Adu is the worst player in the world, but if you're going to sign a guy, give him a fair chance to win his place. And it just seemed like there were some clubs that signed him and from the very beginning, the coach was like, I don't want this guy here. Why is he here? And so that's where I did feel a little bit of sympathy towards Freddie.
1: Yeah, uh, I appreciate you being honest to all of our listeners and and our viewers out there about uh, the fact that you love to see people fail. This is not something new to me. I've known this for a long time when when it comes to you. Uh, and to be honest, we all have that uh, that sentiment when it comes to Tom Brady. Uh, Tom, what's his name? Tom Brady. Tom Brady. Tom Brady. Excuse me, uh, or or a Freddie Adu. It's a natural uh, reaction from human beings out there. We've talked a lot
2: about human beings on this program. All right, last one. What what else we got? At T Jack eight five six wants to know. These parents, what are they naming their? Ch- okay, go on. Yeah. Uh, but. Borussia Dortmund are selling everyone. Is Christian Pulisic next?
1: I, I think he is the jewel now of Borussia Dortmund. This uh, talk about a young player and, and certainly a phenom, not to, the, not to the extent that Freddie Adu was 14 years old, but 19-year-old Christian Pulisic, the savior when it comes to American soccer, and he has lived up to it and consistently now, uh, both for Dortmund and for the United States. Uh, and It's a pity he he and, and his colleagues are not going to be there this summer at the World Cup. Look, I think he is the jewel right now for Borussia Dortmund. I think that they almost can't afford to sell him, but you, you said that before about Dortmund, and yet they have an incredible ability to know the right time to sell players, and they just restock. That is, that is how their business works. It's very, very successful. I just hope that wherever he goes, it's a step up. I mean, right now, Christian Pulisic, he is he's not a great American player. He He is a great player who happens to be American. And he has made that transition in a very short period of time. It took Brad Friedel, Clint Dempsey, uh, Casey Keller, these types of players a long time to get to that level where they weren't looked at as just great American players. They were looked at as great players who happened to be American. Uh, And he has already done that. So I hope that if and when it happens, and it might happen this summer, given the money involved, I hope he goes to an elite team out there, a super club, if you
2: will. And Dortmund are coming to the U.S. this upcoming summer to face LAFC, possibly other games. Presumably they'd like to have Christian Pulisic there for all that. But I'm worried about Dortmund, I have to say. I think there's a misconception here. They do not want to be this selling club. They actually generate a lot of revenue. They play in an 80,000-seat stadium that's sold out every week. They have lots of sponsors. They want to try to compete with Bayern Munich. A lot of these players that have left, they wanted to keep them, and the players kind of forced their way out. That was certainly the case with Dembele and Aubameyang, even Gotza and Lewandowski going back years ago. They're just having a tough time. Convincing guys that Dortmund is a final destination, and then so, be the best team in Germany. Though, well, in lieu of that, they've had to get creative and reinvent. Uh, lately, they've sort of cultivated this image as a club where teenagers develop yep. well. So, you know, that's why they have Pulisic now, Sancho, Isak. They just signed this Sergio Gomez. So that's all fine. They've done some good, good business, but it's just them making the best of a bad situation. Believe me, they, they, they. In a perfect world, they want to be able to hold on to a lot of these guys and try to compete with Bayern. So, yeah, but I, they're
1: not competing with Bayern, and until they're competing with Bayern, they can't do that
2: i actually think they're, they're a club uh, very much in decline and and it, it could affect pulisic's uh, decision here it could hasten his departure if he feels like that's kind of a sinking ship that he needs to jump off of all
1: right that's it for ask alexi as always you can uh, send us your question on social media just use that hashtag ask and maybe you will hear mossy ask your question of us on future episodes moving on the back three All right, we're coming to the end of the show. Our final segment here is the back three, as you heard. Three different things that are happening in the world of soccer. Kind of a rapid take as to what we think about them. Mossy, what are we talking about here?
2: All right, the new look Arsenal was on display this past weekend. We we work with a lot of Arsenal fans at Fox. I went with three of them to a pub to watch the Arsenal-Everton game uh, on Saturday uh, by the way, we were relegated to a different room because the main room, they were showing this rugby Six Nations nonsense, <laughs> which I was not happy about. But nevertheless, uh, Arsenal put on a show. They thumped Everton 5-1. Aaron Ramsey, a hat-trick of goals. Henrik Mkhitaryan, a hat-trick of assists. Aubameyang got a goal, although he was scandalously off sides, but details, details. So Arsenal fans all of a sudden are excited here. Uh, what do you make of this new-look Arsenal?
1: It looked good, and it it's boring. I like Arsenal when they are losing. I like Arsenal when they are giving us uh, things to talk about in terms of their incredible ability to not live up to the hype and to provide us moments of failure either in the score or the way that the score uh, the score happens. So, this was this was I guess vintage Arsenal in how good they were, but it, it and this is strange to say, it was if you're not an Arsenal fan, it was boring. It was okay. Yeah, they're great. Now, are they back? They still got a lot, of, a lot of work to do. And if they get top four, then I think that that will be, as usual, the success and what will be looked at as success, given the fact that it hasn't gone well this year. Maybe these changes uh, at midseason are what's going to take them, uh, take them to that promised land, I guess, if that is the promised land. I will say,
2: I don't see any scenario now where Young and Lacazette can both justify their prize tags. I've heard people try to rationalize lineups where they can both play, but if you're paying all this money for a player and then putting him not at his ideal position where he's most comfortable, to me, you're already failing. So they almost just have to write off one of those guys as a flop and try to get the best out of the other, which is not ideal. All right, what's Uh, next? Next, the Zlatan to LA Galaxy rumors are picking up. Mourinho is dismissing this, but a lot of people think it's going to happen. Uh, Now, the interesting thing here, MLS has been getting all this praise for signing younger players. This would be kind of a throwback to the old model. So what do you make of Zlatan to MLS?
1: It's the exception to the rule. This guy transcends the sport. This guy would be wonderful, not just for the Los Angeles Galaxy, but for MLS. And yes, MLS has moved on where they are not signing older players. But this is a guy that is a star. This is a guy that's a star on and off the field. I do believe he still has a little bit in him, especially if the rumors are true that the LA Galaxy can get him at a reduced rate and use targeted allocation money so he's not an actual designated player so if the price is right he wants to come uh he still physically can uh, can handle the rigors of a of a soccer game you definitely do it and the reason why you do it even more so is because we know that lafc the second team in los angeles is coming into market this year and that is going to put pressure on the la galaxy who are coming off a historically horrible season to do something and live up to this super club uh, type of existence that they have milked for so many years. And I think this would be that perfect type of signing to an already very, very good off season that they had. Uh, I hope that this gets done. I think it's, I think it's good on and off the field. And I think it's a win-win for everybody involved.
2: And staying with MLS, Kyle Lahren was able to force his move to Besiktas. He leaves Orlando City. He is off to Turkey. While Lee Wynn is still holding out with the New England Revolution. Presumably he wants a trade. Uh, So this is raising all sorts of issues in terms of player power in MLS. What do you make of both these situations and what it says in the bigger picture about MLS right now?
1: I I have no patience for somebody that is not going to honor their contract. Okay. And look, I, I argue about this with my own agent sometimes because he says, look, you know, as a player, you only have a certain amount of, of earning years and you have to do everything that you possibly can. And all the leverage and all the power is with the teams and with the, uh, the league and with the, you know, the general managers and that side of it. And I, I get that. But, you know, ultimately, <clears throat> you're not allowed to cancel somebody's contract in the middle because they're playing like crap. But you want to renegotiate constantly when it comes to a player playing, playing well. When it, w- whether it's Kyle Lerner or anybody else, you signed your contract. Kyle Lerner's a little bit different because uh, you know they, there was a discrepancy as to whether, whether the um, additional years uh, applied or not. I'm glad that he's where he wants to be. Uh, I don't think that the MLS, in this case Orlando, the team, sold him for enough, but it was not going well, and I think they had to fish or cut bait, and they took as much as they possibly can. The Lee-Win thing, you might be angry, but it goes back to the locker room types of things. I think there is a certain level um, of players that will understand and forgive, but when you're busting your ass in preseason, and this guy, who's renegotiated his deal twice now over the last few years, isn't in camp uh, and wants to get out, I think you lose patience very, very quickly. But... This is this is the game, and this is the uh, you know who's going to blink first type of c- c- scenario. And players play it, uh, agents play it, because it's all come back. It all comes back to what Mossy money. And I don't know how this is going to play out, but. Uh, Lee Wynn obviously does not want to be in New England, but they're not just going to let him go anywhere and then dictate and unfortunately set precedent, especially with a new coach there in our friend uh, Brad Friedel, who I think wants to kind of lay down the law and say there's a new sheriff in town and this is not how we do business going forward. But it's not a good look for New England right now, which is already taking hits for what they've done or, or, or haven't done on and off the field.
2: And I should say Kyle Lahren's new club, Besiktas, they face Bayern Munich in the Champions League round of 16. And they also signed Wagner Love uh, this winter just to get one more Brazilian reference in there before we. All right.
1: Well, let's end it before we go, you know, <laughs> crazy with the Brazilians. All right. That has been the uh, back three. Let's finish this up. Mossy, my one big thing, uh, ending the podcast as we do each and every week, we started out talking about the United States Soccer Federation presidential election. I think it has brought out the best and the worst of the American soccer community. I think some of the things that have been said and alleged are egregious. I think that they are uh, disgusting. But... It's not necessarily surprising because this is politics and this is the way things go. I think we love to cannibalize ourselves. And I think some of the things that have happened over the last few months in this presidential election have highlighted some very, very good things in terms of what needs to be changed. But I also think, as I said, it's brought out at times the worst in all of us, not just the candidates, but in, but in all of us. And I do th- hope and pray that when this is done, that we come together and we understand that the only way that we are going to get better is through cooperation, is through a partnership and an understanding, and most importantly, a respect. Because I know it's in vogue now to crap on men and women and crap on the system, shall we say, that has been in place for a number of decades. And does it have problems and flaws? Absolutely. But the reality is that there are a lot of people that deserve a tremendous amount of respect and praise with the understanding that things can and need to get better going forward, and we don't need to tear everything down. And more importantly, we don't need to tear down people that have been so integral and and important in terms of making this American soccer community and this American soccer culture that we have. David Mossy, thank you so much for being here and participating in the first ever State of the Union podcast. How was it? Are you okay? You survived.
2: It was great. And if I don't see you this week, have fun in Orlando. Say hi to Grant Wall for me and may the best man or woman win.
1: Wonderful. All right. That has been the State of the Union podcast. You can follow us on Twitter. You can get to us on Twitter and all the social platforms out there. Facebook, you can download, you can subscribe on all the traditional outlets and platforms out there when it comes to the podcast. We thank you. Please send your comments, rate us, subscribe as we said, and we will see you again next week on the State of the Union podcast. Size the day.